Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. We're starting a new uh, series this morning called Discipleship. A Disciple Shift. There you go. All right. All right. So that's what we're t- uh, going to be talking about for the next couple weeks. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said these famous words, which really we as a church have come to own as our own. We've seen this as our mandate. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said this. He said, go make disciples of all the world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded with you, and yo, 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 I'll be with you to the end of the age, all right? That's what Jesus said. So he didn't say go make converts. He said go make disciples, and we see that as a mandate that he's given to the church. And when you start to unpack that word disciple, what is a disciple? A disciple is really someone who's skilled at following Jesus, They're an apprentice of Jesus. They're somebody who has ordered their life around following Jesus. They have made a shift from following the world to following Jesus. They've made a shift from following their own desires to following God's desires. They've made a shift from following the crowd or Netflix (laughs) and to following the Word of God and and what God says. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, there are some very important shifts that we need to make. For example, in one situation, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, and remember, he was training them for three years, so there were many lessons that he was teaching them. And one day, he was hanging out with his disciples, I don't know, they were eating fish, walking by this <laughs> the lake or something like that, and as, you know, Jesus does, and, and, and he noticed something in his disciples that he didn't like. He noticed that they were starting to take on the leadership style that is common in the world. In the world, there's a leadership style that says, you know, when you're the boss, you just demand people do things. And some of us are like, yeah, one day I'm going to be a boss, and I can boss people (laughs) and give back what I've got. No, okay. So, you know, there's a style in the leadership, leadership style in the world where it's like, if you're in power, you lord it over all those who are underneath you. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he saw, guys, you're, you're, you're leading like the way the world leads. I want you to shift to a kingdom style of leadership, which is a servant leadership style, like I'm modeling for you. And so that is a very important part. If we're going to be leaders and disciples of Jesus, then we have to make a shift from the leadership style that we see in the world to what we see in the kingdom, which is what Jesus is doing. That's an important shift. And and so as we become disciples of Jesus, there are a number of important shifts we need to make in our lives. Amen? How many of you have made a few good shifts in the last couple years in following Jesus? Good, like 10 of us. Awesome. Over the next couple weeks, we just want to talk about what are some of those important shifts that we need to make in order to be disciples of Jesus. And in particular today, we're going to talk about a very big shift that needs to take place, and that is the shift from lust 
to love. I heard one your, but I'm sure we all said it in our hearts. <laughs> the shift from what? From lust to love. What we see in the world is a lot of lust. And what we see in the kingdom is a lot of love. And God wants us to be characterized as a people, not by the world standard of lust, but the kingdom standard of love. And so that's an important shift we need to make. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So we're going to kick off in 1 John chapter 2, but let's pray before we open the word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. And we believe, we declare it, we believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, direction. We treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess that our minds are alert and our hearts are receptive and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Join me in 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John says these words in verse 15. He says, do not love the world, amen, or the things in the world. Oof, can you feel the conviction? <laughs> do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world's passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. You know, in this passage, the Apostle John summarizes what the the motive or the energy or the, the driving force behind the world is in just two words. He says, like, if we could summarize everything in the world, like this, this crazy world that we're in and all that is happening in it, we could summarize it in two, two words. It's lust and pride. Those two words characterize the world system that we live in. What is lust? Well, according to the Bible, lust is desire gone wrong. <laughs> That's what lust is, all right? Lust is desire gone wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. Desire is, desires are God-given, all right? We're, we're creatures of desire. Just because we have desires doesn't mean that they're wrong. If we look at the Bible, what we notice is that God even has desires, you know, otherwise we wouldn't even be here today, people. I mean, the fact is that like when we read Genesis, what we see is he's got this desire, this longing for a people who will be his. And so he starts acting on those desires. And that's pretty much what desire does. Desire leads to devotion. Desire leads to action. Desire leads you to start moving your life in a particular direction. We are typically people who chase our desires. And so when we look at God, what we see is he starts to act on his desires and he begins to move with Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and then Moses and then eventually through Jesus, he all, why? Because he desires a people. He desires relationship. He wants a big family. And so he acts on it and he moves in that way 
to get what he wants. So desire is not a bad thing. It's actually a God-given thing. Desire is, is we're made in his image and therefore we desire things. However, when desire becomes focused on self or on sin, then it turns into something ugly called lust. Lust is desire gone wrong. Lust is devotion to what is unholy. And John in this passage summarizes this. He says this. He says the world is characterized by lust. And he, and he mentions there the lust of the eyes. So you know what I'm talking about. Walking through the mall one day and you see that jacket, shoe, handbag. Come on, give me some more, people. PlayStation, we have a gamer in the house. <laughs> uh, we, we see something, a car, a house, a holiday destination, just, you know, that beach and the, the, the umbrellas, you know, and we're just like, and what does it do that when we look at certain things, the desire engine inside gets turned on. You know, it's like that handbag. You know, it's like, it's like you, you just, what do you need? You have to act. Desire leads to devotion. Desire leads to action. And, and, what, and eventually, you've got to buy that handbag. You've got to buy those shoes. You've got to get that thing, you know. You've got to say, and if you can't get it now, what we typically do, what do we do? We create this internal wish list. You know that like, like you know, have you, we've got those wish lists, amen. You know, like online, you can save things to a wish list. Um, so we do that in our hearts as well, amen? We have this like internal wish list. That's the car I want. That's the house I want. That's the clothes I want. That's the thing I want. That's the lady I want. That's the guy I want. Yeah, amen? And, and, there's, and there's this like internal wish list. If we can't have it now, we'll get it later. And we start to consciously or subconsciously begin to orientate our lives so that we can get that thing. Why? Because the desire engine got turned on. And that's okay, but we have to ask the question, is that thing what God has for us? Is that a desire that God has for us, or is that a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes, or the pride of life, just because I want my life to look better or be better, or people look, look at me more different? What, what is the motivation behind it? And, and is it right that we spend so much energy and time and thought and on that thing? And there we see the difference between a godly desire and a desire of the flesh and a desire of the eyes. And John, so aptly in this passage, captures the world system. It is a system driven by lust for stuff, for things. And in particular, this affects our sexuality in many ways. But the kingdom is one that is driven by love, one where we are fulfilling God's desires and we are being givers rather than getters. JR, would you come and unpack this a little bit more for us, champ? Give this guy a hand. Give this guy a hand. One, two. Okay. <laughs> um, thanks, Wayne. I think that was like a really, really amazing definition of what lust is, you know? And I think it's going to help us to see what our current state is in the world, what God thinks about it, and the actual antidote to 
a lustful um, way of life. So right now, our current state of affairs is appalling, right? Um, I think that the world thinks that lust is just like, okay. It's been interwoven into mainstream narratives, just being put into each and everything in our daily lives, in our movies, in our series, in our songs. We just know that, like, you just can't find a decent movie nowadays. It's really difficult to be sitting on Netflix with your mom and, <laughs> and you start watching something and uh, 20 minutes later, you're like, no, let's not do this one. Let's not watch this one. Let's watch, let's watch animal, animals and stuff like that. That's what you end up watching because like, it's like there's too much of it. <laughs> and it's just this thing about the world is saying that lust is okay, gender is fluid, you can do what you want as long as you're not hurting anyone. And I think that's a lie, right? I think that's like so far removed from what God wants from us, um, what he's given us, which is like authentic love, right? And I think one thing that attributes to also like lust, our current state is the rise of the information highway. Uh, it has given rise to like a remarkable axis of information. And also like Web 2.0 has us so intertwined and linked together, we know what everyone else is doing. We just have like such an influx of um, information such that we don't, we don't really have anyone who's saying like, we're governing this, this information. It's just being fed in chunks. Some of it you see unwantingly, it just sticks in the back of your mind. And now you don't know why you want to go to McDonald's on a weekend or like <laughs> go to another place. So. It's just really, really appalling where we are. Uh, we see like uh, these AI-driven algorithms that are really shooting, shooting to, to sort of like to, to a specific person and they're holding and they're not letting go. They're just like sucking you in. And it's not that your, your Facebook timeline or your Instagram timeline, your YouTube timeline isn't fun. Like they're aiming at you and they're it, it, it actually is entertaining. Like six hours of uh, social media feels like 20 minutes just because of how curated all the information is. It's like, I'm looking through mine, I'm like, wow, buildings, buildings, buildings. Like, uh, like I love architecture and like, I, I'm watching that. I'm seeing like the Golden State Warriors like uh, pulling up on, on every other feed and I'm just like so, so sucked in. We're so sucked in into our technologies, which then I think for me, uh, I started to ask myself this question that, hey, like in the parable of the seed, you know, like there are these birds that come and they steal the seed from the good soil. And I'm thinking like, wow, like technology is really doing that for us right now. There's like good seed on good soil, but like we're, it's just being wixed, wixed away by all our like screen time and all these things. So. Even in our economies, we find that it's a fast, quick, easy, on-demand access to our fleshly desires. You can pretty much get anything you want right now. Like, there might be someone in here on Uber Eats right now, like ordering something, and we'll, we'll probably catch that person when they're walking out, like, hey, like, dude, like, <laughs> Tondo, what happened? <laughs> you know, just make sure it's like, 
five loaves of bread and two fish so that we could, uh, we could all eat. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so the world is very much interested in sharing its alternative to what God has for you. Um, it's lust for love. It's lies for truth. It's fantasy for reality. It's fear for faith. All right? And yeah, I don't care who you are. Everyone has standards, and you know, like there are people in here that, like, if, if your Nikes were Mikeys, like if they had an M on them, you would just like wouldn't wear them. Like, you 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 wouldn't. You just you understand that that's not original. And I think the devil is doing that to us right now. He's giving us he's giving us lust, and he's sort of disguising it under love. So you watch that in a romantic comedy, and you think that romantic comedy is about, uh, about love, right? But you're, you're just being fed so much that's not off God. And um, yeah, I think we're going to go into the study of, according to the Bible exactly, what, what, what is lust? What, how does God define, um, well, Wayne has defined lust already, but how, how do we see lust portrayed in, in the Bible, and what does God say about lust? So why do we need to move from lust to love? What is the utility of that? Why should one be forbidden and one should be celebrated? I think it's always great to ask those questions. It's like, um, there's, there's, there's that, that, that thing you see like in grocery stores or stores in general, like you see a mom or dad with a toddler and the toddler just wants everything. Like they're just going for everything. Everything is just like, he doesn't understand that we have to pay for it or, you know, this is just trying to grab everything. Like I want, I want, I want. And typically parents are not in the business of explaining to the child that, hey, we don't own this, and like we need to pay for it to, to get it. It's just like yanking the child, <laughs> like let's go. <laughs> so I think it's, that's why it's very important that you know um, I'm always saying like the Bible is is the manual, you know it's like the rule book. Like we we have such a gracious God who's given us just like hey this is your life. Here's the manual for it, you know. But it's it's what we typically going through in our day to day. Even like no men, we don't read manuals at all. It's just like Andre just rocks up. He knows that he knows a few things and like <laughs> he's just going to assemble things without wanting to know what the, the, the manual is. But I think it's very important. And we will dive into Matthew 5, 28, which sort of sets the standard of, of less, uh, uh, our desires. It says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So for me, I love this verse because that's where the bar is really, okay? It starts in the thoughts. It's just, you know, you see your favorite dessert somewhere and like you so much as think about it as like, ah, oh, I, I want that ice cream, that you're done. Right? Like God is saying, you think about it, you're, you're, you're in there. And that's such a high standard to meet. And I think God did that because he needs us to need him, right? It's such a high standard because 
He doesn't want us to be like, oh, yeah, I got this, you know? Like, I walked away, God, so it's, <laughs> it's all good. It's like he wants us to, to need him. And um, also, if we find the, the Bible saying stuff like, keep every thought captive, right? So everything that we're thinking on our day-to-day, right? Second Corinthians, verses 10 to 5, 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Like every thought. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee from, from evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call on the Lord of, out of a pure heart. I think I, love, I like this verse because it acknowledges the fact, church, that for starters, <laughs> um, it gives you what you need to do. For starters, you need to flee, yeah. right? It's, there's no negotiations here. Like if a, a fire started in your seat right now, you wouldn't be like, hey, actually, my... my my normal state is just cool and calm. <laughs> you can't burn me. You know, it's like, you can't do that. It's like, it'll burn you. You need to flee. So that's one. Also, it attributes um, that having evil desires, it, it attributes having des evil desires to, to youth. So I think this, for me, acknowledges that there are levels of ma maturity within your Christianity, right? So you can be, God is so gracious. You know, he's, this is showing that he's not expecting you to have it all good in the, on the first day, you know? This is, he's giving you his strength, but he also acknowledges that it's a journey, right? So again, just to sum up everything there, it's lust is counterfeit, it's fake, it's cheap, you need to mature out of it if it's lingering in you, right? It's not what God wants for you. Desire heaven, not the world, because seemingly right now, the world is a trap. And speaking of traps, there's a woman Wayne wants to talk about. She's not here, but it's all good. <laughs> it says that the following in, in verse 3, it says, Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd, and they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery, and they made her stand in the middle of everyone. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone her to death? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? And they were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger, Angry, they kept insisting that he answered their question. 
So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. And upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. <laughs> there is a wisdom that comes with age. <laughs> the youngest were hanging on. They were convicted in their conscience until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. And so he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And looking around, she replied, wow, I see no one, Lord. I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on, be free from a life of sin. Sin no more. You know, JR has just shared so accurately this, this morning just the standard, the righteous standard of God's word. It's like to even look at a woman is to commit adultery. Just, just even that, that standard, I mean, and, and every single one of us have fallen short of that in whatever way. And this is, you know, both men and women we're talking here this morning, guys. There's a righteous standard of God that is there, that he's put in his word. And when we look at it, most of us would in this room agree we fall very short of it. But what I love about this story is this, is that Jesus didn't change the standard. He didn't bring it down a little bit lower. Instead, what he did was he got down to her level and he raised her up from where she was and set her free with the power to sin no more. And this is, the, this is what I, you know, I want us to get this morning as a family is that our God, this is a picture of our God over us. We know the righteous standard of God. We know we fall short in this area. We all lust after stuff in this world, whether it's sexual, whether it's you know, material, whether it's just the pride of life. There's this thing in us that we've all fallen short of it. But our God is not there condemning us like the Pharisees. He's not standing there with a stone because you fell, because you tripped, because you got trapped in the trap of lust. And let's be honest, it's a trap. It's a trap that Satan wants us to fall into where we just become lustful, where we be, that just starts to define who we are and it defines our life. It's a trap that he has set there for us on media like JR has been saying and TV and whatever. It's this trap that we can fall into, but our God is not standing with the stone waiting for us to fall in that trap and throw it first. In fact, what we see is, is he, he gets down to our level where we just feel like he shouldn't be, right? Like, he, like Jesus, no, I'm a mess right now. 
Jesus, I'm too sinful. I'm too lustful at the moment. I've, I've messed up too big. You shouldn't be here where I am right now. But he gets down to the level where we are because our sin doesn't scare him. We must remember we have a Savior who took the sin of the world upon himself. He took it. So his sin, our sin, sorry, does not scare him. Doesn't chase him away from us. He doesn't like want to run in the opposite direction. If anything, he comes to us. Adam, where are you? After they had sinned, seeking him out. Comes to Wayne, where are you? After you've sinned, where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm coming to you, to your level. And then what he does is he forgives and he empowers us, but he doesn't change the standard. He says, go sin no more. Is that even possible? In Christ it is. J.R. just shared with us from 2 Timothy about how the, he spoke about the evil uh, desires of youth and, and how there's a maturing in the faith that happens. And, and, the, and the idea behind that passage of Scripture is this, is that we shouldn't struggle with certain things as we mature in our faith with Jesus. But yes, there are some struggles that we go through in the beginning, but it is possible to walk free from those things that often trap you. It's possible that you can walk free of those things and even have a testimony and turn around and say, I used to be like this. I used to struggle with this, but look at what Jesus has done in my life. And that's the Christian walk. And that process of maturing, that process of learning to flee, that process of learning to take every thought captive, that process of coming before him in humility, in daily repentance, being faithful to confess our sins because he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us for unrighteousness, being faithful to that process and not running out into the world thinking, I've just messed this up, so let me just go really mess it up but being faithful to the process of maturing and growing and learning his word and learning the principles of the kingdom and learning accountability and learning all these things is the process of maturity. And we can come to the place where we can go in the strength of Christ and sin no more. Where we can, we can walk down the streets where we used to stumble and go, you know what, I have no desire any longer you know, we, before I met Christ, I used to smoke a box of cigarettes a day. <laughs> I used to have an ashtray next to my bed. And the first thing I would do in the morning was smoke a cigarette. I have no desire for a cigarette to this day. I can be, let me just be honest with you, I have no desire for it at all. In fact, cigarette smoke is like horrible to me today. I don't smell it and go, oh, if only I could just have a Peter Stuyvesant blue, you know, just like, no, there is no desire whatsoever. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. He broke that, cha that pain of lust in my life and through a process of maturing brought me to a place where my desires are no longer on those sinful things, but they're on the things of his kingdom. It's a process of maturing. It's what he wants to do for us. And this picture of John chapter 8, where, where Jesus gets down in the dirt, and I, and, I, and I really believe he goes down to the dirt because we were made from the dirt. And he's just like saying, I'm down here. I'm down at the level where I'm, 
I'm recreating, I'm remolding, I'm, I'm reshaping you. And he brings us up and he empowers us. And then when he says, go and sin no more, those words don't just, they're not just words, but they are the power of God that enables us to go and live the life that he's called us to be the holy bride that he's called us to be. It reminds me of a story of a judge who had a son who got involved in something illegal. And the judge was sitting in his courtroom one day and his son was brought into the courtroom to face trial for something illegal that he did. And it was beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did it. The evidence was presented, the cases were argued, and the judge, who was the father of the son, had to pronounce a fine or imprisonment on his son, which he did, and the fine was huge. And he pronounced, you know, whatever it was, you know, $50,000, there's your fine. And the son was, but you're my dad. How could you do that for me? How could you, how could you do that? He, he lashed out at his father, and his father took off his judge thing. What do you call that thing, Langer? Wig. <laughs> it's a wig. <laughs> I thought, like, these legal guys would have something for, a name for that. It's a wig, okay. <laughs> takes off his wig. <laughs> he gets down from the judge bench and he comes down to where his son is and he pulls out his checkbook and he writes a check for the amount that his son needs. And he says, up there, I was your judge and it would have been wrong of me not to change the standard. But down here, I'm your father and I'm gonna pay your fine for you. That's what Jesus did in this very moment. Why could that woman get set free? Because he took her sin. He took it. He took all of that on himself so that she could walk away free. That's the picture of God before us today. And I have a sense, you know, just for some of us, we, we're trapped in a, in a trap of lust. And with that comes a whole lot of condemnation and accusation. It's like we've all got the, we've got this like Pharisee, all, you know, like these five, 10, 20 Pharisees behind us. <laughs> and they all got stones in their hands. And they're like, you've done wrong. You know, it's the, and they just want to act. And, and we have this condemnation. But the Bible says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He set us free from condemnation and he empowers us to live righteously. And if you're there today and you're trapped in that place of lust, I want you to know there's grace for you today. You have a savior who's right next to you. He's down at your level and he's, and he's taking all that from you and he's empowering you to walk free from that. So JR, why don't you just come and wrap this with more of the solution of how. All right. Thank you, Wayne. Um, I think that what Wayne said was really, really um, precise in what, what God wants. You know, God is going to give his grace, and ultimately that's, that's all we really just need, really. We can't do 
um, we cannot be free without his grace, his mercy. The standard is just, it's, it's high. It's a heavenly standard. It's, it's nothing that you could just do by yourself, you know? And I feel like that's, that's the reason that the commandments were given in the first place, you know? They're given so that God could show people that they fall short because they would have been pompous and say, hey, I'm, I'm a good person because it's so easy in this uh, day and age to just fall into, I do good things, therefore I'm a good person. But yet all the good things that you're talking about are good things that you have made for yourself. You've, you've written down your own rule book and you've said, okay, these are things that I feel are good. And you know, that's, we can't live like that. So I think for me, I would like to, uh, what I feel the Holy Spirit pushing for is we need to move towards more unity, right? Unity amongst ourselves as a church. Um, because this is how the word spreads. We need God in our lives, but unity is something that's absolutely vital for that to happen. If you're in here and you have it all figured out, but the person beside you doesn't, and you don't even know that person, or they don't know you, like how are you supposed to, how, how are they get, supposed to get saved, you know? So unity amongst us, ourselves, to the, as we come together in a church, as connect groups, unity as friends and family, but mostly unity um, with the one true vine, right? Uh, not the counterfeit, not the worldly one, not the fake one, but the one that's true, amen? And in, I'll just read <laughs> John 15, um, verse three, it says, you are already clean, Amen. right? Because of the world, word I have spoken to you, right? You're already clean. All that guilt and condemnation, like we see like in the, um, woman caught in adultery, we see that Jesus didn't say to the woman caught in adul adultery, how could you do such a vile thing? You know, you know I'm preaching in this city. She's probably a Christian too. He's like, my guy, <laughs> like what are you doing, <laughs> right? But he says, I do not condemn you, right? And so us too, Jesus doesn't condemn us, Amen. you know? And because these words have been spoken to us, go and sin no more. This in fact, this is an act of faith for us, you know, all of us to, to go and have this faith that we have been forgiven, right? And that the righteousness of God in Christ is ours, that as he sits on the throne, so are we, you know, God is not, Jesus is not sitting in heaven right now worried about all these things that we are worried about, you know? But he's, he's shared that as he is on the throne, so are we, right? So what should we be like? We should be in rest. We should be in abundance. We should be, you know, we should be living a heavenly life. And it, should, it shouldn't come out of, out of effort. It should come out of rest because Jesus is in rest, you know?
Okay, so if you realize today that actually, no, you know, I think I've been pursuing the counterfeit, that maybe you've been doing this the worldly way and um, not by God's standards, I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you up, up front to come so that we may pray for you. And if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd also like to invite to, you to come up because, you know, he said he'll, he'll honor you as you honor him. In front of the masses, you know, in heaven, God will be your, your, your lawyer to, to God saying, hey, this guy's all right. He's with me, you know. So I'd like to invite you to come up and let you know that it, this moment is not about anyone in this room, but it's about you. It's about you and God and your salvation and the way you live your life. Also, if anyone would just like prayer as well, you're also welcome to come here. A fresh moment of just saying, hey, you know, I'd like, I'd like God to, um, I'd like some prayer so that God can be in my life as well. All right, I'm gonna have Wayne come up and do a closing prayer. Cool. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you, JR. So the call has gone out. If you feel like you're trapped in this thing of this world, this last trap, you're welcome to come on up and get some prayer. And um, as JR is saying, like this unity is so important. It's like we can't be the congregation that we hide from each other but where we, we open our lives to each other and we surrender ourselves, you know, and we ask God for help. That's all it really takes. It just takes a humble heart. And um, yeah, so I just wanna say, like as we close this morning, this altar is open. If there's anybody you wanna come up and you feel like you need prayer in this area, come on up now. Come on up. There's nothing wrong with coming up. We'll, we'll pray with you. Well done, champ. Come on. Anybody else you want to join? Well done. Come on. You know, some of us were like, um, <laughs> we're struggling from Monday to Saturday, and then we come to church, and there's a call for prayer, and we're like, ah, I can't, I can't get prayer. But you know what you're going to face tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, and you know that struggle's real. Rather come today and, and get some prayer. There's grace this morning. There's the power of God is here to set you free, enable you, and strengthen you, send you out. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. 
Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.